Lauder and welcome to Golf Lovers United, where we discuss golf the fairway. On today's episode, could Europe be the underdogs that might just come through in the Ryder Cup? And who would we like to see on the team that may or may not get left out? We're going to talk about the format of the FedEx Cup and, of course, dive in to the BMW last week. We're going to have a little, little run through Jay Monahan's press conference, of course, this week. And we've got an on-course interview for you. I'm Mark at Golf Dad UK, and I'm joined, as ever, by my great friends and fantastic golf lovers, Ben at Golf Lover UK and Jay at Pro Golf Critic. How are you, boys? You well? I'm great. Just walked off a golf course two days of, uh, I'd say, striping it round. I... I've played some world-class golf and I've played some absolutely dreadful golf, honestly. I was at I a five, a five iron today, 222, forced carry over the water, over a bunker, to eight feet from the flag and then two-putted it. And I was lucky to make the two-putt. I ran the eight-foot putt, six-foot past. That's just absolutely highlights my week worldy five iron carry the water carry the bunker nestle it up next to the pin and knock it eight six feet past like just pathetic oh i hear that mate that's that's golf for you i'm the other way i stripe a five iron eight feet and then knock the putt 200 yards past it's it's a nightmare of a game it's a nightmare of a game jay how are you my friend you good uh doing doing pretty well gotta say i'm a little bit angry this morning just just uh based off of the pj tour press conferences that have been going on jay monahan really grinds my gears we're we're gonna get into all all, all that in a bit uh but like I, I was telling ben yes yesterday uh if you're really focused trying to play good golf you can't do mid mid-round check-ins you just can't do it like you got to stay locked in you got to stay locked into your round it's it's the only way to go and this is speaking from somebody that that's won a pro-am and like i i wanted to f- film and do, do all that but i was like no i got to stay locked in it's the only way and we won by by one shot so that could have been been the difference no i'm not having that i'm not having that because twitter and instagram they're really important and actually I definitely probably threw away our tournament just to send out another effing video. I should not have done it. You're completely right, but I'm never going to admit it to you. I'm never going to give you the credit for that. Probably shouldn't have done another video. But Prev and I were wearing matching clothes. We look so cute. It is worth it if you're wearing matching clothes, mate, and especially if it's not being planned as well. I think everyone needs to know about that. So screw the tournament. I'm with you, man. 100% planned. I, I sent him a text message five weeks ago going we're both wearing white shirts on the, and black shorts on day two we're wearing navy shirts and gray shorts on uh on on day one and we got the trousers just in case it was too cold for the shorts 100 percent orchestrated mark I, I at no point can i pretend that didn't deliberately happen and we even coordinated gilets it, it was definitely deliberate Striping five irons down the catwalk, forget the fairway. Maybe we'll talk more about golf fashion over the next few episodes as well, because I feel like we're missing a bit of a trick there if we're not all coordinating exactly what we're wearing. But alas, we are going to talk about the Ryder Cup, the FedEx, of course, and a few other things. And I'm just I'm excited to see where Jay goes with this one, because it's always fascinating to listen to you, Jay, when you are on a spiral. It's one of my favorite things to hear, to be completely honest, my friend. Thank you to you. They have a present listener. You are fantastic for our first episode. We greatly, greatly appreciate you. If you want to listen to this episode, of course, 
it is in your podcast app of choice, but you can listen, subscribe, and share at glugc.com. And you can get involved with the discussion at GLU Golf Club on Twitter. Now, Ben, let's talk the Ryder Cup. Europe, what are your thoughts on this? I hear on the grapevine that you have a sneaky suspicion that Europe could do something. Where's your head at with this, my friend? Bear with me, look. I'm never going to claim that Europe have got the depth that the American team have got. But I think Europe's front six is better than America's front six based on how they're playing in the last four to five months. I think that front six of Europe of McElroy, Rahm, Hovland, Hatton, Fleetwood and Fitzpatrick are as good, if not better, than Scheffler, Cantley, Schofley, Homer, Harmon and Clark. Harmon had a great... Harmon won a major. Fantastic. Outside of a couple of performances this year, hasn't really been a factor. Wyndham Clark has had his moments, hasn't really been a factor. Homer, look, I know a lot of people criticise Max Homer. I really like Max Homer. Hasn't always dealt with pressure and the big stage brilliantly. Xander Schofley, we know he's a world-class, but he can go hot and cold. Cantlay's a world-class player, has issues with his back, at times can really struggle. And Scotty Scheffler, the greatest. His stats, apart from the green, are record-breaking Tiger-level stats. He puts worse than I do. It's unbelievable. <clears throat> so I just actually think that McElroy... Rahm, Hovland, Hatton, Fleetwood and Fitzpatrick are as good as those other six. It will all come down to depth and actually how some of the new players and the rookies play that haven't played before. And I think that's going to be really interesting. I think that really interesting for me is going to be how do people like Big Bob McIntyre that shaping that ball left and right, that, le- that lovely lefty swing, how does he cope on that stage? He seems to love match play and it and is a grinder like that. I think it's been very interesting. And along with that, do America pick their best team? Or do America oh it's not America, it's not fair. Does Zach Johnson leave out Brooks Kepka? He's got a chance to leave him out now. Does he go full I'm not gonna let any live players in? He's already made comments about he doesn't watch live players, how he doesn't go and see them, which is a bit Weak, in my opinion. Um, it's not like Luke Donald, who isn't going to be picking live players, can't pick live players because you've got to be a member of the DP World Tour to to, to go and play, and none, none, the vast majority aren't because they resign their memberships, not pay fines. For Zach Johnson, it's very different. He now has to make a decision about whether he picks Brooks Kepka, whether he picks Bryson, whether he picks Ma- um, Taylor Gooch. He won't pick Taylor Gooch, whether he picks Patrick Reed, he won't pick Taylor, pick Patrick Reed. I'm just going to say here, I'd pick Patrick Reed. I think he'd be an absolute thorn in the side for every time you can, match him up with Rory and just wind Rory up. I'm a European. I want Europe to win, but I wouldn't want to see Rory having to play Patrick Reed. That's beside the point. That's just me and my fantasy, fo- fantasy football's head on, but for golf. But does he pick the better players? Does he pick Brooks? Does he pick Keegan Bradley? And I know Jay was going to jump in on that in a second. I've, I'm going to put 25 cents in Jay and watch him go because I actually think Keegan Bradley should be picked and I don't think he will be. Are you happy with my rant so far? Is that is that good enough for you? 
I'm Rant City. I, I was, I was, you know, you were quite tame there, mate. I don't know if you're poorly or sick and dying or something, mate. But you know, I was chuffed to bits with it. The uh, I want to get to the people that are left out because that was very tame. Um, in in a second, Jay, because I, I, I'm fascinated to talk about Keegan. His season, he's always been there this season. He's and which has been great to see. I don't, I don't think he's he's quite been that present for ten years. But the the, the one to probably dive into just before we get to that are two interesting ones for me. Terrell Hatton and Tommy Fleetwood. Hatton is, we know what his temperament is and we know how well that can be matched to match play and of course a team environment like the Ryder Cup. That could be fascinating to see when he's fired up. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you've got a Tommy Fleetwood who is, you know, he can be a little conservative at times. He sort of, he, he gets round and he's, he's, he's certainly world class, but he's not, he doesn't seem to have that level of fire that, you may or may not need to win this, especially if, if Reed does get picked, especially if Bryson gets picked. Um, and especially when you're up, up there, stood up next to someone like McElroy, who, you know, like him or loathe him, he does get fired up for this thing. So um, just to kind of finish up on your European thoughts, and, and Jay, feel free to jump in anytime, mate, but the Hatton and Fleetwood, like, they're in. Of course they are. But where do they sit? Are they, are they, are they right for this kind of thing? Have they got that, that just a spirit? They are, and, and I'll give you an example of who they are in the older generation. Passionate, loves match play, gets up for it, eats, sleeps and breathes it, would die for the team. Ian Poulter, Tyrrell Hatton. Calm, cares, anchor in the game to draw on when things aren't quite going right. Lee Westwood, Tommy Fleetwood. For me, you've got that really good comparison where Westy and Fleetwood are very similar in some of those ways and Tyrrell and um, Poults are very similar in other ways. So I actually think that they are both two perfect people to pair up. People are talking about pairing up Rory with um, pairing up Rory with Hovland. I think that could be really good. Of course, they're two of the greatest players in the world. But I also like the look of taking taking the firebrands and taking splitting the firebrands up and putting them with the carers, the, the, like the, 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 the more solid anchor. So you could have... Matt's fit, Pat, Matt Fitzpatrick with um, Rory. You could have Rahm with Fleetwood, and you could have Hovland with Hatton. Like I think you've got those options to play around with that. Yeah, you know, I gotta say, like, <laughs> I wanted to let you you guys get a little bit of time because I've got a lot lot to say say about this stuff per uh, per usual. One of the things that we have to note about about Rory is the the fact that uh he's had a very mediocre Ryder Cup record like it's not like he's he's been his world beauty he hasn't been a cert- Sergio Garcia he hasn't been an Ian, Ian Poulter as a matter of fact those two guys if you look at his like four ball and foursomes records those two guys have carried him to like five wins so if you take those guys away he has a very very below um average Ryder Cup record. And I do think that that could potentially be exposed with him not having those security blankets um, in this particular event. Like if you wind up thinking, oh, like uh, we can roll out Rory with like anybody, which I, I know they're not not going to uh, not going to do. I know they have a, a, a lot of analytics and numbers that, that uh, uh, kind of go into all this stuff. So they're, they're going to pair him up with uh the right uh the right pairing and i'm and i'm sure you know hypothetically speaking like 
um, all the numbers are gonna gonna say, oh yeah, this is gonna gonna be great. I still don't have a lot of confidence in Rory McIlroy in the Ryder Cup. I just don't. He's gonna have to prove it to me without Sergio, with with uh, without Polter, without some of these like stalwarts that are in there. Because the one thing that is not really being being talked about, and uh, Paul Casey actually did a really great interview with uh, John Huggin um, earlier this week. Where he talked about the Ryder Cup, and actually talked talked about Paul Casey. Uh, I, I talked with uh, Paul Casey about about this in uh, Tucson about six months ago. The thing that a lot of fans don't realize is that a lot of these Ryder Cups are won well in advance before they actually play. Like you have to have the right chemistry, you have to have the right leadership in the team room, you have to have the right captains, you have to have the right the right vice captains, like you have to have the right chemistry. That's going to get these guys who are on paper, very good, good players. Like you have to get them to play at their, their very, very best, because let's be honest, like the, the U S team in the majority of the Ryder cups has not played their best. Europe has. And that's the whole reason why Europe has won on European soil every single time on European soil for the last 30 years. Like this is not a coincidence. So um, if they don't have the right people in that team room that are going to maximize the people that they have on their, their team, even though the talent seems very, very um, high, obviously with John Rahm and Rory and Hovland and all these other guys, you still have to get those guys to play at their very, very best. And I'm not sure if they have the right people uh, just just with Luke Donald being the captain, looking at some of his vice captains like Molinari, like I, I like Molinari, but he's not exactly inspiring me to play my best golf. So, but if you compare that to like somebody like like Lee Westwood or like Ian Poulter or Sergio, like those guys are going to motivate me to like win for them. So I don't I don't know how else this this is going to going to play out. I do think that there's a lot of things going going on that that I feel like you know Europe uh they they may actually even be the favorites on on paper uh going going into this but um uh are they going to be able to have that chemistry to like maximize that that's the question that I I'm not sure sure about and that's the reason why I favor the US team but well, the US is a better team on paper I think you're going to laugh at me now well People are going to have comments. When I say this, people are going to go ballistic. Right. McElroy, Rahm, Hovland, Hatton, uh, Fleetwood, Fit, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick. Obviously, there's a couple of live players that I think could look, be looked to be in the team, but they can't be picked. We've explained why that can't happen for the European team. You're going to go Rose, Lowry, McIntyre, Stracker, Adrian Moronk, or Yannick Paul. You, I don't mean to mind either way. Now, you're gonna just you're just calm. I'll take Patrick Harrington. Really? Wow. I think Harrington is my twelve. Not the first time I've heard that, Ben, actually. Not the first time. He's gonna sort the locker room out. He's gonna take none of the truck or crap from if Rory throws his toys at the Priam or someone gets angry or something happens, you're gonna have no problem with that. You won't have any of it. And he's playing superb golf. You don't play more five legs, of course you don't. You play you you play him in the foursomes. You, you you then play him obviously in his singles match. I think that he's got the wile, the guile, the experience, and he's playing good enough golf that 
I would take a flyer with my 12th man and put him in. That's, I don't think that is, is as, I've, I, well, let me say this in a different way. I've heard that at the, cl- the two clubs that I've been to this week, I've heard a couple of people say a similar thing, um, mainly based on like the senior open, some of those performances. And then the way that he's been seamlessly switching between the main two majors and, and whatever else through to the senior. And he's been competing everywhere that he's turned up this year. Um, so I, and, and when you look at his driving distance, he doesn't, that would be the obvious logical disadvantage to have. And he's not really, he's not really that far behind anyone else. So yeah, I hear that. Jay. Yeah. Very interesting take. Uh, <clears throat> and I know that's been, been floated a little bit out, the, um, out there. Uh, one, one of the things I, I do want to point out is that, and this is one of the things that I've been very, uh, I, I've gotten a little bit of publicity on, on Twitter about over the last week how like I do think that the fix is in for for some of the these picks. There is a, a lot of things going going on behind this, the scenes. Like there's certain certain people that like I think are like uh, I'm I'm looking at uh, Vegas odds and I'm looking at what what some of the other ex- um, experts are saying for like that that last uh, pick for uh, Team Europe. And one name that keeps popping up is Ludwig Aberg, um, and I don't. Like I think I I know why, and like I I could go full on conspiracy theorists and like tell you exactly exactly why why I think that he's being pushed for it. Like I was just just looking at the uh, DP World World Tour Twitter page um, earlier this this morning, and they were pumping it up too. So it's it's like they're like, oh, Lud Ludwig is is like trying to impress the Ryder Cup captains for to to get a pick, and I'm like. First of all, this guy just turned pro like two months ago. He's done pretty much nothing of note. Why are they they trying to like push this this guy who I guess I think he's a talented player, but uh, as we all know, amateur and professional, there's a huge gap there. And until he proves it on the professional level level, I don't think that he he should be uh, considered. Um, however, I thought it was very interesting that. Uh, I, I saw some, someone tweet this, uh, their uh, team that they would pick for uh, Team Europe. Ludwig was on that that list. Uh, and our guy, Lee Westwood, said that's the exact team that he thinks is going to get picked to. So for what it's worth, I have to lean into that that a little bit. Um, I know Lee Westwood knows a, a lot about how this, this stuff works. And I don't think he's necessarily saying that that's the the best team or the team that he would pick. I think that he, he knows who's, who's going to, going to get picked. And I think Ludwig Aberg is going to, going to be on the team. If he does get picked, it's going to raise a lot of questions though, about what's really going on behind the scenes, because it raises the issue of, Oh, you know, because the, uh, us PGA tour and PGA has so much influence over the European tour. And they are trying to uh, keep people away from live. Don't, don't forget about that. Like that's still a thing that's out there. Could they be, you know, trying to put somebody on the Euro- European team that's maybe not the strongest to like kind of fix it so that the U.S. team wins? I don't know. That's some, something that that's I'm uh, I'm float, floating out out there because I know how desperately the U.S. and the PGA Tour and the PGA of America want to win this because it's been so long. So I don't know. It just sounds, it, it looks really weird. I think 
that if you put someone like like Padraig on, on the team, like I think that that's um, actually probably one of their best options. And I do think that he would be a great leader in the room. I think he can sort of take some of that mantle that like someone like like Sergio and Poulter and Westwood, because he's been in all those those rooms too. Like he gets it. And I think having him as a player and maybe only sending him out um, in the singles and then maybe maybe one or two other matches is probably enough. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how this is gonna gonna play out, but I do think that there are certain people that are like in this club that that's been like they've. The powers that that be in professional golf have like sprinkled this this like magic dust on these certain people that seem to be getting favored for these picks that on the surface, if you're looking at things objectively or from an experience point or from like a, a team chemistry standpoint, they, sh- they shouldn't even be in a com- conversation. So I, I do think that these are things that we need to think about as these picks come out. And start analyzing. Wait, what's what's really going going on here? So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, and that's going to come out in the wash very soon as well. It's the, the, there's certainly not much longer to wait until we find out the remainder of the teams. And without a shadow of a doubt, this will be something that we revisit week on week. But let's switch gears up up to the FedEx. Um, we're here this week. Uh, of course, we've got the Tour Championship just kicking off. It's it was an interesting week last week at the BMW. We we saw Hovland work absolute magic across the back nine. Um, ben, we spoke earlier about the format of the FedEx and so in particular the Tour Championship. Um, what did you want to get off your chest with this? Because I think there's there's a lot in, in, in this to unpack as well before we get to the, the, the some of the headline stories. Well, look, I think let's... I, so we, we call ourselves a fair way, so let's be blunt about it and be really fair. And Chris, I think the FedEx Cup has some fantastic elements to it. I think the Tour Championship is an absolute bonkers format. It's just stupid. So let's look at that. <clears throat> I love I love how they work that, and they they reward people throughout the year. They earn FedEx Cup points. They move up and down the table, and then you get a cut, 120, 70, 50, uh, 30, whatever it might be, all the way through to have these different events put on. Fantastic. Really good. I love that. I think it works really well. And I really love, I really love the... Um, the fact that you're really looking, you're looking at crikey, who's going to be at who's going to be at seventy first? So let's look, look. So Justin Thomas missed out, um, missed out by one place on getting through. Uh, Adam Scott played well. Um, Garrick Higo had been had a really good finish to the season. Shane Lowry not the best year ever, finishing seventy eighth. That's interesting. And you see um, our Aaron Rye, the English guy, just scraping over the line, getting through. And you see some, and that, I find it really interesting. Like Keith Mitchell, Samo still grinding away, getting through. And I, I love that. I love the same with the BMW. Look at Mackenzie Hughes just missed out. Hideki just creeps in. Then you get your top thirteen. You know, Heath, um, Denny McCarthy, Justin Rose, and a few Kirk Kitayama who've had a good season, just missing out. And Seth Stracker, Jordan Smith, just creeping in. I love that. I think it's great entertainment, as well as the main event that's going on. It's a secondary competition, which is one of the things that when people criticise Live for the Team event, I don't understand that because it's a secondary competition going on at the same time. Meaning you're not just worried about the top two or three players. It actually matters how the guy at who's in 42nd plays because his his contribution matters to the team in the same way that it mattered. How, how was 
uh, Milano Grillo playing and Tyrrell Hatton playing and Jordan Spieth playing to make sure they got in. They weren't going to win the event, but could they creep up? And I think that's a really good thing because just focusing on top two or three players in an event for me isn't isn't always the best thing. I like having that depth of interest. But you get into this tour championship and the format is absolutely stupid where you've got a weird handicapping and you start on even, you start on minus two, you start on, you get to use three clubs, someone else can't use a putter for the first three holes. Why not put that in there? Why not start, oh no, you can't use a seven iron or a not, can't use any odd irons for the first three holes. Just It's just ridiculous. Just making up things here. Oh, you can only you can only use your sandwich twice in a round. Like they might as well put that nonsense in there as well because it's no different to this weird handicapping. It's really, really simple. You want to make a tour championship? Great. You want to reward players who played well throughout the year. Don't necessarily stick at 30. Change the number to maybe let a couple more in. Top eight, get a bye. Then you have groups. Top two from each group go through and create a single elimination format. Just make a really big match play format over a period of four days with the groups. It just, it just works so well. We don't have enough match play. All the surveys have shown and all the reports and investigation have shown that fans love watching match play. So why not give the Tour Championship a real identity? I'll tell you why they're, they're not, not going to do that because they are, and I know, know this because I, I've heard this from officials at the PJ Tour. I've heard this from a lot, a lot of people in professional golf uh, about the Tour Champ Championship in uh, particular. When you have that, that many players, they are mortified of having a final match of like Russell Henley versus, uh, you know, Adam Shank. Like if, if those two guys get hot, like that could easily be your final, and I don't think that anybody wants. I, I certainly know I don't want want that either. Um, and I do think that one of the things we have to realize is that uh, with the advent of live, they uh, have lost a lot of their talent. Let's just no, no mistake about it. Like I've said, you know, I actually wrote uh, uh, wrote a piece of, about about this, and it's basically. 30 to 35% of their talent they've they've lost. So when you have that and you have the tour championship, which is at the very end of the season, you're going to have a, a few guys in there that like probably wouldn't be there if Bryson was still there and Brooks was still there and Cam Smith was still there and Joaquin Neiman was still there or Patrick Reed was still there. Like you're going to have some of these guys that like nobody really wants to see. Like no – no dis- disrespect to like any of the guys that made the tour championship. They're all very, very fine players. Don't get me wrong. The problem is this is kind of a, a made for TV TV event. There, there's no other evidence you need that this is like a handicapped event, that this is like kind of a, a made for TV exhibition. If if you want to really, <laughs> you want to say it like th- this isn't really equitable. This, this is not like this. This isn't really, uh, really serious. That being being said, I do think that they do need to make match play part of this. Now, um, I was actually look, looking at the list of players, and, and like you could probably get away with it if you had like sixteen players. Like that's probably the the uh, cutoff where you have like the top sixteen. You're you're going to get a pretty com- compelling final, no no matter what. The Fatal flaw to match play, in my opinion, is that when you have too many players, 
just like like we uh what we saw with with the WGGC match match play. You you have sixty four guys. That's way too many. If you cut it down to the top sixteen, then all of a sudden you you start to sort of trim the fat a little bit, and then you start to get some potentially really compelling matchups in the final. You you could get you know a Rom versus you know, Rory final, you could get, you know, Scotty Scheffler versus Xander Shoffley. Like you, these are things, especially because those are two, two of the guys that play really, really well, well at Eastlake. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that uh, that's something that, that is definitely, um, I, I know that they're considering having match play part of this. Uh, I don't think keeping the 30 or 32 top guys and, and sort of doing a, uh, a match play is not the way to, way to go, but yeah, continue. I need to disagree. I think if you just look at, take top 32 players, top eight get a bye, so you know your top eight are safe. Your big names, the guys that have maybe earned it over the whole year, you know they're safe. Then you take 24 more players, split them into groups, top two from each group go through, which means you're going to weed out a few others. If you end up with Scott Stallings versus Russell Henley, that's because they deserve to be there. But the chance of getting a final of that when you've given your top eight a bye and you've also had the group stage, you're going to lose a couple of those lesser players. We know that. I just think that we love match play. The WGC, as you say, has got way too many games. So I'm talking about having 24 guys playing in those groups, splitting them down, creating 16 players coming out of that, the top two from each group. You have 16 players and just... Mixing in, I think that's a really good way of trying to get that through. I, look, I like match play. I don't think we play enough of it. And the PJ Tour, they've been messing around with this ridiculous format. Why not try something else for two or three years? That That's my other view. We've, we, we're tired of this. Try something else. No, I completely agree with trying some something new. Like they they've obviously proven that that they're they're willing to pretty much try any. Like if they're they're willing to try a handicap system, they're they've they're pretty much willing to try anything. Um, you know, and I uh, and I do think like if they want to try match play for like a, a year or two, see how how it goes, is to- totally fine. I I do think that we also have to be real realistic about this, like FedEx. And Coca-Cola are putting up a lot of money for this particular event. Um, and they want that that final day. They want the big names there. They they just do. And I don't think they want to run that that risk of of not having a, a Rory or a Scotty Scheffler or a Hovland or a Rom or like one of those big, big names. They want those guys playing the entire tournament. So um, I think, look, you guys know how much I, I love match play. I think match play is the future of golf in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things that uh, we, we could potentially do with it. As a matter of fact, I was just getting a, a message while, while we're on, um, on here from a very, very high profile professional golfer that everybody would know that we're actually going to, going to talk about this uh, later on this, this, this year. And I'm going to write it, uh, write a piece about it. That's what I like to call a teaser. Um, but just, just know that the, these match play com- components, I do think that these are really, really important and, and are critical to the future of professional golf. The way the PJ tour and their, their structure is set up right now, 
the tour championship is never going to be match play. It's just not. So uh, now if, if we are able to, to get some new people involved in this where, you know, there are some different de- decision makers and it's not entirely these, you know, corporate interests that are making the decisions, then maybe we could get a little bit of flex- uh, flexibility. But until that actually happens, it's going to be status quo and they're going to stick with this until, you know, um, uh, for how, however long they're signed up for. I'm just digging out another quarter, mate, because in a second we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about the old press conference from Mr. Monan. But before we do that, we are just going to remind you that if you want to like, you want to subscribe, you want to get involved, you want to share your thoughts on the Ryder Cup, on the FedEx Cup, the Tour Championship, and anything that we're going to talk about in just a second, you can do so at GLU Golf Club over on Twitter, and you can tell all of your friends about this podcast, glugc.com. And remember, right at the end of the the episode, we are going to cut in Ben's interview from the Belfry this week. But I've dusted off a quarter, dear. The hand's been in the pocket, and I'm going to stick it right in there and let you go. Jay Monan, press conference. What's eating you this morning, my friend? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, I got to say, I, I, I've got my little timer here to make sure I don't, don't go too, too long here because there's a lot of things I want to say. I'm going to try to keep this brief. Jay Monahan, like I don't like it blows my mind how he he thinks he can have one of these press conferences now that he would have had four years ago, where all he's doing for a full hour it was fifty seven minutes of him basically talking absolute nonsense and nothing, saying how oh the PJ tour is great we're doing great this and that like. He was trying to sell everybody that, oh, everything is going great at the PJ Tour when it's like, wait, like literally two months ago, you were on <laughs> you were on CNBC with Yasser Al-Ramayan saying that like the entire, you know, landscape of professional golf and the PJ Tour is going to be changing moving forward. He didn't address that almost at all because, yes, I understand the framework agreement is, is still in uh, in place to still work, working thing, things out, yada, yada, yada. I totally get it. The the fact that he just like tried to pretend this is like some state of the union ad- address and sort of say everything is go- going great when there's one of their, their long time, basically third in power at the PJ tour, a guy, a guy that was there for 34 years is all of a sudden he's basically fired. Like he, resigned he was he could not continue on working at the pj tour because there's all this malfeasance alleged malfeasance going on at the pj tour that uh resulted in uh several people no longer work working at the pj tour none of those questions were asked in that press conference no one really dove into that at all and i know this is because look this is exactly why I call them the the corrupt golf media. You have people like Eamon Lynch, who in his uh, um, in the pieces that that he writes, he he talks all this crap about Jay Monahan and the players and and all these these people. And then when he gets in this press conference, he he's asking multiple questions in there, and none of them are like really deep or like 
questions we want to know. They're total softballs. That's why I call Eamon Lynch sort of the co-founder of the corrupt golf media, because he literally has nothing to say in these press conferences. He is totally useless. And I'm going up against my time, so I, I, I need to sort of reel it back back in here. But I uh, like I told everybody, I'm very, very passionate about this, this stuff. I really didn't like that press conference. It was an hour. It was a total waste of an hour of my time. It was pretty clear prior to the press conference. They told told the media no questions about the malfeasance, no questions about you know what what's really going on in the PJ tour, and we're we're going to make this this total show, this total fake you know press conference where all the questions are are totally scripted. If you get me in one of those press conferences, trust me, it would not go go that way. So. There needs to be some accountability. There, there needs to be some like more uh, people in there that have some guts to like ask the, the questions that like need to be asked. And I don't think anybody in the golf media is going to do that because none of them want to lose their their access. None of them want to lose their credentials. And that's the whole reason why we can't get to the bottom of any of this stuff. So I'm going to stop there. I apologize for, for ranting ranting but i was very very upset by that press conference how he thinks that we're just these morons that like are just going to listen to what he has to say like the things that that happened over the past year haven't happened you you crushed the clock there you crushed the clock and in many ways this is not this is not unlike any other major corporation or major establishment major government you know whether it's losing access at the lower level or you know, you you see from a political standpoint very often in other organizations that, you know, punishment is meted out should you go up against whomever the organization is. And it's always oh, it's fascinating to me to know where that ends, you know, the, how how high is someone like Jay? And it, this, this may happen in the future on live, you know, will, 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 will Greg be able to do what he really wants to do when it gets to a point where there's something that he disagrees with. And I, you know, so it's not the point I'm getting at is that at any level of organization, this kind of thing always seems to exist. Ben, what, what's your take on this? Have you got any thoughts on this? I think we get taken for fools. So two things, one people defending the press conference. <clears throat> you, why are you lying to yourself? We all heard on June the 6th and, and a few days afterwards about how the PGA Tour was struggling, needed this help, needed this, needed the work. Here's our new partner. We're all going to walk hand, hand, hand in hand together and dance down the street. And then when he says something different, you just say, oh, it's a press conference. Uh, like, call him out on it. Either he's lied to you on June the 6th or he's lying to you now. It annoys me with all politics, be you left, right, middle, whatever you are. Call your team out for the crap you call others out for. Just because it's your guy or your girl that's saying it doesn't make it acceptable. He's either lied on June the 6th or he's lied now. <clears throat> Whichever it is, call him out on it. Say which one is it. And these pol- these um, politicians, what a great slip of the tongue. These reporters in the room, these journalists in the room, they don't call him out on it. They don't say, oh, Jay, thanks for saying that. Interesting comment. 
Why are you saying that now? On June the sixth, you said that you were. There, you talked about the money problems. That all came out about the money problems. It came out in 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 the, in the um, Senate hearing about all the financial issues, all this, that, and the other. Why are you Why are you now saying there's no issue at all? Yet at the Senate hearing on June the sixth, you said you were great partners, invested together, going to do this together, and ask the question. That's what annoys me, Mark. It annoys me these journalists get access and they don't ask questions because they want to retain their access and they're being told not to ask them. We know that's the case. We've been told it. We know they're not asking questions so they don't want to upset the authority. Well, then don't be a journalist. Just just go and work for the PGA Tour because you're not a journalist if you're not asking that question. That's what annoys me. And I understand they've got a job to do and I've got some sympathy on it. But if your job is to be a journalist and a reporter, you need to ask those questions because they know what was said at the Senate hearing. They know what was said on June the 6th. So when it's completely flip-flopped over to, oh, it's a minority partner, everything's great in the BGA tour. Well, it isn't. You told us it isn't. So did you lie then or are you lying now? Which is it? I think they lied, lied both times. I, I think they've been lying this whole time. That's that's the really funny part to me about, about the PGA tour and their their leadership. Like they are continuing as like like business as usual when like it's basically been proven the, the last year and a half you've been lying lying to us the whole whole time. Like I could spend literally a whole podcast talking about all the times that PJ Tours lied to us over the past year and a half. So it's like how how Jay Monahan still has his job at this this point is totally beyond me. And honestly, I lose respect for the players that allow him to continue on in this role for any longer than he has. And I've already gotten kind of wind. And the, again, this is room. This is mostly room rumor and innuendo, <clears throat> but honestly, if he is still in his same position, January 1st, 2024, um, like I would, would be willing to bet pe- people uh, a fair sum, sum of money, even, even though I, I don't gamble and I, I don't bet to be clear, but <laughs> I don't think he's going to be there January 2024. I think the fix is already in. I think that he's he's already being shoved out. I've gotten word from several people with with knowledge that he's basically not even involved in the negotiations anymore. It's other people at the PJ Tour along with people at the PIF that are, that are involved. I think that he's uh, sort of on the out, outside look, looking in. I think that he 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 got them to this point. He's he's been a, a really important front man to sort of take all of this heat the last couple months, um, and I do think that 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 heat has dissipated. I think that we we saw that in his state of the PGA Tour press conference earlier this week. There was basically no no one was holding his feet feet to the fire in that presser. There were there was no tough question asked in that at all. So I do think that he is on his way out. Uh, who is going to be his replacement? That's probably a story for another podcast that we we could do at another time. I have a very strong take take about that. I've I've already picked who who should be the PJ the next PJ Tour com, commissioner that I've talked to a lot a lot of people about, and they're like, oh, you know what? That that's actually a great idea. So, um, well, that's another teaser for for people. But if you look at my uh, Twitter account, you'll be able to figure it out. But you know, I do think that. Uh, the next few months, a, a lot of stuff is going to be revealed. A lot of changes. I think I've never been more sure that the agreement is going to go go through, even though a lot a lot of people are still poop pooing it, uh, in, including you, you Ben. I know you're uh, still sort of sort of fence sitting on that, but 
I I do think this is gonna gonna go go through, and it sort of has to for the PJ Tour for a lot of reasons. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to see, but I I feel confident this is gonna go go through. The leadership that's currently at the P, PJ Tour now is no longer gonna gonna be there um, in a fairly short order. And then once you start getting turnover in the leadership, then like maybe the culture can actually change. Time will will tell, but yeah, we'll we'll have to see what happens. I think we should dive into that. I do think that would make a fascinating episode. Just talking about some of the media, talking about the 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 the, the prospects for the PGA Tour, where that culture needs to start changing, at what level, and also just start thinking about the media and, and as you say, start thinking about the the, the jobs and 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 the way that. The response. Who does the responsibility lie with? Why do we care, and so on and so forth? I think there's so much more to that one. So it would be fascinating to do a deep dive episode on that. We are going to stick a pin in it in just a few minutes. But before we do, of course, you can share this episode on Twitter and give us a tag at GLU Golf Club, and you can share glugc.com and subscribe in your podcast app of choice to round out this episode we are just going to cut in a fantastic interview that ben took on site at the belfry with carl mcculloch the ceo of track employment solutions and robinson page events so enjoy this interview the audio is slightly different ben thought fast whipped out the iphone and recorded this on site so the quality is fantastic for where he was but it is a little different of course to this studio that we're in right now so enjoy this interview as I said, with Carl McCulloch. Welcome to a bonus interview on the Golf Lovers United Golf Club podcast. I am Ben, and uh, as you might know me, Golf Lover UK, and I'm joined by Carl McCulloch. Morning, afternoon. Well, it is afternoon, it is but afternoon. it might be morning. It depends when they're listening. Depends what time you wake up. Yeah, and depends where they are in the world. Absolutely. Uh, we have listeners literally everywhere, and some might say nowhere. Um, I'm joined with Carl by Carl. I'm here at the Ryder Cup, uh, the Ryder Cup, four times Ryder Cup venue, the Belfry. Um, it's a fantastic venue. For those of you that have played here before, the Brabazon is, as you know, fantastic. For those of you who have not played here, it's an iconic venue. Uh, the Ryder Cup's been held here four times, 85, 89, 93, 2002. The 10th uh, par four over the water, synonymous with uh, Seve and that incredible shot he hit. Carl, why are we here? So we're here. Um, we're here on a charity golf event that my business partner and I put together two years ago, raising money initially for the Hambo Foundation and now for the Hambo Foundation and our own charity, Best Mates. We wanted to put together an event that brought together as many golfers as possible. Last year we had 200 um, and raised a significant amount of money for charity at the same time. And the Belfry is the best venue for it. You know, it's, it's the centre of England. It's got three courses, but we, we take over two for two days. So we take over the Brabazon and the National. The facilities here are fantastic. It's one of the few venues in the country that can accommodate all of us in the same place. And they help us run the event and make it go as smooth as, as possible. And I think you talk about helping run the event. I attended last year and don't want to say it too many times, but I, I won the singles. I like to remind everybody that listens. It's the first event I've ever won, and you're you smiling. Did. But you did, and I got a plenty of abuse for winning it, as I, as I should do. But 
they do help. They run a beautiful event here. And of course, as you know, I played nine today, being at the range, it's in immaculate condition. It is, it really is. I've been out putting, putting the marketing stuff out for the sponsors. Um, and the course is, is in as good a shape as I've seen it, to be honest. It's really, really good. And we were both surprised by the change to the putting green. Two tier. Yeah. Two tier. It's gone I mean, from having a small slope to an actual cliff. Right. It's, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Actually, it's really, really good. Yeah. It'll make, it'll make um, a good setup for the putting comp this week. So you talked a little bit about the event and I'll talk a bit, I'll ask you a bit more in a moment, but for those of you that don't know you, Carl, you, you own a, a very successful recruitment company called Track, T-R-A-K. Do you want to give a, give a plug, go on, give the yeah, website out. Track, track employment is tracksolutions.co.uk. We're a blue collar recruiter based in Swindon. We have an office in Didcot. We are in talks to open in America and we're in talks now to open in Dubai. But the thing is, you're a very successful man, not a blown smoke up your ass. We've known each other for a couple of years, but most successful guys do branch into different things because they like building businesses. Branching into golf events is quite a is quite a leap from from that. Well, I didn't branch into golf events. I branched into boxing events. So, I ten years ago, I did a couple of white collar fights and. My, my friend who owns a recruitment agency as well was the promoter, white-collar promoter. He then stepped away to go professional. His dad um, was an ex-professional boxer who fought heavyweight, fought Frank Bruno, fought Joe Bunn and so on. Um, and he stepped away and it left a gap to put these shows on in Swindon. So me and a friend, we started to put these shows on in Swindon. We had six or seven very successful shows, 1,000 people each. Um, and that was my, kind of my foray into events. And from there, we decided that we'd like to go into other events. So we did sporting dinners. We brought Paul Gascoigne to Swindon. We brought Harry Redknapp to Swindon, straight out of the jungle. Um, and then from there, kind of golf days just seemed natural. You know, we like to play golf. It just seemed a natural, natural progression. So I didn't kind of branch straight into golf, but I did go into events because. Yeah, so, so it was more of a you more morphed into the golf through the sporting events. Through the events, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I. You know, yes, the, the recruitment agency is going well, and, and but like any any business owner, really, you're always looking for something else. You know, when, when something's going well and it's settled, you, you need something else. I personally need something else. So I started to do the events. Um, and then, of course, it's, it's just gone from there. Well, I've got 42 staff at my place, and I, there's no chance I want to do anything else at the moment. I just want to <laughs> right. keep doing that. But enough about, about my work, because it's, it's not interesting at all. I think... What I really want to try and focus on is this event isn't a tiny event. Now, I, I need to make it clear to those people that are listening. This is 200 people, 100 pairs across two courses. One of the most famous courses in the world. A fantastic second course. Most clubs would love the PGA National to be their first track, yeah. let alone their second, yeah. and dare I say, lesser known track. But why is it I've been to golf days, you know, I've both been to golf days. What was it about you that went, I don't just want to run this, but I want to run it superbly well and, and, and also cater for the amateurs because that's what you do. Because yeah. some of these events get overtaken other places by scratch handicappers, one or two. But last year I played in a pair with a guy who's off 28 and his son's off 32. Well, look, it's, um, I, I kind of, I set myself a very high standard personally. So when I do something, I want it to be, as, as good as I can get it. And I wasn't really interested in starting off kind of doing 50 golfers or 100 golfers. I've done that. You know, I wanted it to be as big as I could get it straight away. Um, and so 
I needed to find a venue that could accommodate it, so the Belfry worked. Then I needed, then of course, I needed to find out what the maximum capacity was to make it comfortable for everybody, manageable for myself, because it isn't small. Um, and, and so 200 was the number. They let us take over the, the Brabazon and the PGA National for two dates, so nobody else is on it for two dates. Um, Besides the British Masters, no one gets that. No. Well, this is <laughs> this event is the second biggest golf day in their calendar. Yeah. In the Belfry's calendar. So you had the British Masters, then is you. Pretty much. Pretty oh. much, yeah. And I, I, wrote, I was talking to someone the other week um, from another golf organisation, and they said that they believe this event is the single biggest amateur event in the UK on two concurrent days. You have some which are... There's 2,000 people entered, but you play on one day and you play three days later and you play yeah. over a period of time. Yeah. But as an actual gathering of people, this is the largest event. I mean, that's, that's an insane stat. And actually, that's, that sort of fills you with a bit of pride, really, because I didn't know that. Um, but it's Because the other events are bigger. They're, they're played over a period of six weeks. And I visit yeah. your course, you visit mine, or, we, yeah. or 30 of us go to one course and have a playoff. But as an actual standalone event, this is the biggest amateur event in the UK. Which, which is great to know. You, you said about how we cater for the amateur. We do. We do have some pros playing. And they yeah. play off plus four, plus five. Um, but this week, for argument, so we have a golfer called um, Ollie Ingram, who's disabled. He's playing in a para golfer. So he's got no use of his legs, right? And he's playing, he's playing off of 40. 40 handicaps. So we've got plus fives up to 40 mm. in the fields. And we do literally cater for everybody. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I think one of the things that I don't want to go and miss is the charity stuff. Do you want to talk a bit about Best Mates and a little bit about the yeah. Matt, 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 Matt Hambro? Matt Hampson Foundation. Foundation. Yeah. So we put this golf day on originally for the Matt Hampson Foundation. It was our, one of our sponsors in our first year recommended them to us. We went and met Matt Hampson. We met the Tommy Corson, the CEO. And the work they do there is inspiring. The, the foundation that they've set up in Leicester um, is just mind-blowing. To and see what do they do? So they, they help people recover from um, sporting spinal cord injuries. Um, they help, they take them through from hospital into recovery and then kind of help them back into society. But they, they help their families as well. So it's, and they help them transition from being these active people, sports people, motorbike riders, whatever, to deal with this life now, you know, quadriplegics and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's, the work they do is, is, is mind-boggling. It's really good to see. <clears throat> and Matt Hampson himself is a, um, a truly inspirational character. Um, so, so we've been supporting them now. It's our third, third event to support them. Um, but we're now co-sanctioned, if you like, with my own charity, Best Mates. Um, because, uh, Best Mates is a charity we set up in um, October last year. Look, I think well, we'll talk in a minute very quickly at the end about how people can get involved for next year. But what I was talking to, my brother in law's coming tomorrow um, with a friend, his Gareth, and I've got another couple of people, another couple of people coming. And one of them said to me, he said, It's really easy to square away two and a half days away from family, and it's best part of a thousand pounds for a pair. Yeah. But you're going to pay a thousand pounds for two rounds of golf on two incredible courses one of the most famous course in the world if you watch the Ryder Cup you know the you know the Brabazon you get two nights accommodation you get food it's just it actually when you break it down a thousand pounds for a pair for the accommodation mm -hmm. for two rounds of golf for use the practice facilities evening meals the entertainment you put on the breakfast you get organised 
it really isn't a lot. It's not. When you break it all down like that, it's not a lot. Um, and it, I, I, I appreciate that the price itself can seem a lot of money, but when you actually break it down into the value of the event, yeah. like you said, what you get, and the fact you're playing for £10,000 of prizes. So the winning pair this week are going to be going to Dubai for five nights. Don't to start, golf. I finished third last year. Right? Yeah, exactly. Third, 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 third by one stroke. I remember, yeah. yeah. And the winners last year went to Morocco yeah. for five yeah, nights. Let's, let's, let's not roll me up right now. <laughs> so... So you know, so the the prize table is worth ten thousand pounds yeah. in total as well. So it's it's um. I walked away last year with about four hundred and fifty quid in cash and golf balls and another sort of yeah. five hundred quid in rounds of golf and other yeah. prizes. There's a lot to there's a lot to be had. There's a lot to be had. Finishing third in pairs and first in singles. Just want to remind everybody, I was first in singles last year, even as a pairs competition. You haven't mentioned it much. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how can people get involved next year? Because like. I know you got like three or four spaces this year, so you didn't quite get the 200, about 190 yeah. odd. Um, so how can we get 200 more? How can we get 200 next year? How can people get involved? What's so, the best way to search it? So next year, we are penciled in for next year already, the 21st to the 23rd of August. Oh, is um, that just around the British Masters time? It's the week before the British Masters, which means if you're playing here with us next year, you're going to be playing exactly as the pros would. All the grandstands are going to be up. The course is going to be set for the pros. So the condition is going to be immaculate. And I've seen it at British Masters Week. It really is immaculate. Um, so, so next year, like, let's have this right. Next year, if you play in your event, you're going to play in the grandstands. Not in the grandstands. I'll, I'll be in the grandstands. You'll be in the grandstands, grandstands yeah. yeah. You're going to play in and amongst the grandstands on the course set up for the British Masters. So then five days later, you can go and watch it on TV the exact course layout, the exact setup you'd have played exactly for your that. event. Exactly that. That's a, exactly that, that. That's a once a lifetime opportunity as well. That's it. So if you've ever been to a golf course where it's, it's following after the Open or something like that, and you and you play the grandstands, I was lucky enough to go to Royal Liverpool a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's an amazing feeling to to walk down there knowing that your heroes have either done it or are about to do it, and that's that's the closest you'll get to pro golf, and you yeah. get to do it next year, the twenty first to twenty third of August. Okay, so how do they get in contact with you for that? Um, they can drop me an email, carl at rpevents.co.uk. carl at rpevents.co.uk. It will be in the show notes as well. Yeah, I love saying that. It sounds so professional. It's I won't put it there. Someone else will. And, uh, or you can visit our website. The event will go live on our website in the next couple of weeks, rpevents.co.uk. rpevents, okay. Carl, thank you so much for your time. Hope you all enjoyed that little insight to what I'm doing this week. Um, if you are based, you could be based abroad, but if you are based in the UK and you want to take part in Carl's event, 21st to 23rd, 23rd to 23rd of August next year, you will play in and amongst the stands at the Brabazon, at the Belfry Resort. It's a fantastic occasion and it's without doubt one of the best run events I've ever been to. So thank you, Carl. And hope you. You, I hope you all enjoyed the show. Take thank care. You. Thank you. All right, this has been episode two of Golf Lovers United. Thank you so much for joining us. You can catch us over at glugc.com. And if you want to give us your view on the Ryder Cup, on the FedEx Cup and the Tour Championship, if you want to give us your thoughts on Jay Monaghan, you can do so over at GLU Golf Club on Twitter. Ben, at Golf Lover UK over on Twitter. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you. Enjoyed it as always. Always a pleasure. And Jay, the pro golf critic over on Twitter. Always a pleasure, sir. Same. Thank, thank you guys for letting me, me rant. Um, I know <laughs> it's going to, I think that's that's going to be a comp common theme, theme on this, but I'm trying to keep it limited. So thank, thank you guys again for, for letting, 
let me do that. It is our sincerest pleasure, and we do discuss golf the fair way here on Golf Lovers Unite. Until the next episode, keep on doing what you do. Keep enjoying yourself. Until the next time, bye-bye for now.